0: The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. Here it is, folks. Kick the can and call your gran. It's time for Event or Else. The comic book show where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because frankly, if I don't do it, somebody else is gonna. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and how about we skip all the pleasantries already and leap right back into Crisis on Infinite Earths. This week, we're looking at issue number four, and it's entitled and thus shall the world die. This issue was published by DC Comics in July of 1985, and it was written by Marv Wolfman, with pencils by George Perez, inks by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tony Tallinn. Our story opens on Earth One, July 1985. Supergirl and Batgirl are meeting on a rooftop in an unnamed city. Could be Gotham, could be Metropolis, we just don't know. Batgirl is feeling more than a little useless as the world is slowly being eaten by the antimatter wall, and Supergirl is there with words of encouragement. That is until Supergirl spots a small airplane in need of assistance and races off to save the pilot, telling him, we fight to live as long as we can. That's the only way to live, and to be able to live with yourself. From there, we visit for just a bit with Steve Dayton, the world's fifth richest man, and his friend, John Constantine. The former drinks, while the latter thinks about the Swamp Thing. Meanwhile, on Earth-6, Pariah arrives and is set upon almost immediately by the royal family, Lord Volt, Lady Quark, and Princess Fern, who all assume he is the one behind the antimatter wall. He tries to convince them otherwise and can do nothing as first Princess Fern and then Lord Volt are taken by the wave. Lady Quark can only watch as she loses her family, but then Pariah does something he's yet to do so far in the series. He saves her, transporting her away to safety despite her protestations of wanting to die with her family. We are then taken to the monitor satellite. If you remember from the previous issue, we left the Monitor as he was about to be murdered by Harbinger. Here, however, we're taken back just a bit to his final moments before Harbinger arrives. The Monitor is working furiously to stem the tide of his enemy's advance, and so moves forward on his plan to create a new hero, a new champion. He fires an ion-based energy ray into an unstable star in the Vagan system of the Earth-1 universe, which causes a powerful flare of solar energy to travel to Earth. On Earth, at an observatory in Japan, we meet Kamiyo Hoshi, a professor who doesn't quite understand that honey attracts more flies than poop. She's berating and verbally abusing the other scientists, calling them cowards and fools and whatnot for giving up, in the face of the antimatter wall. It's then that the solar energy slams first into the observatory, and then into Camillo, causing her to vanish. The Monitor watches all this from his satellite as Harbinger watches him, fighting with herself as her new master pushes her to kill her old. Young Alexander Luther, who still appears to be naked, watches Harbinger watching the Monitor, And it's through his inner dialogue that we learn that the Monitor knows that Harbinger is going to kill him. Furthermore, we learn that by killing the Monitor, Harbinger will actually be serving the Monitor's needs. We just don't know how at this point. In the meantime, the enemy, who still only appears in shadow, captures the Red Tornado for some nefarious reason that is not as yet made clear to us. We then travel to Earth-2 in the time of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, where Firestorm and Killer Frost team up with the Shining Knight to defend another of the Monitor's towering devices as shadow creatures appear and attack. Then, suddenly, the shadow creatures merge, forming something more powerful. They form what appears to be a giant shadow version of the enemy that towers over the Monitor's devices. On Earth-1, in the present, where the Teen Titans, the Outsiders, Batman, and Superman have been trying to save as many people as possible from the oncoming wall of antimatter, another tower appears, this one defended by Kamiyo Hoshi, who has now become the new Dr. Light. The heroes, thinking she might be the cause of the wall, attack as Dr. Light calls out to them in Japanese that she's here to help. Luckily, both Katana and Superman speak Japanese, and they all become friends. Yay! Meanwhile, on Paradise Island, Wonder Woman finally makes an appearance. The Amazons, it seems, have decided to stay on the island and do nothing but die along with the rest of the world. Wonder Woman disagrees with them, but does nothing. For now. Back on the Monitor satellite, Pariah appears, and we learn that the Monitor was the one who cursed Pariah with immortality, because he too has a part to play in all of this. He too is essential to the Monitor's plan, just as Harbinger is. Then, as the Monitor and Pariah watch as the heroes and villains of Earth 1 and 2 do battle against the giant shadow creatures over each of the towering devices, the Monitor explains That the universe was split apart at the dawn of time, each world weaker than the whole it was meant to be. The worlds are separated by vibration and time, and that his machines, like cosmic tuning forks, will bring them all together. Our heroes in the meantime, all across Earth 1 and 2, fight for their lives, defending the monitor's devices as the antimatter wall marches on, erasing everything in its path. All hope appears to be lost, and it's as the Monitor asks Pariah not to harm her until all is made clear that the her of which he speaks arrives. It is, of course, Harbinger, and she blasts the Monitor, killing him as Earth-1 and Earth-2 fall to the antimatter and vanish, leaving behind only a black void. And with that, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments or aspects of the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. Feel however you will about them. I'm still going to point them out. Thing to dwell on number three, what's so special about Lady Quark? First, I want you to cast your memory back to issue number one, where Pariah, witnessing the death of an earth, reaches out to save a boy from the antimatter wave, but fails to pull him free. And while it's never said outright, this scene gave me the impression that Pariah is an observer only, that despite what he wants or what he tries to do, he can't stop the wave and he can't save anyone from it. Yet here in issue four, he manages to save Lady Quark before Earth-6 is wiped from existence. And my only question is, why? Why was he unable to save the nameless child in issue one, but is able to save Lady Quark in issue four. Seriously, what's so special about her? Will this choice of his play a significant part in an upcoming issue? Will she be the key to saving them all? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And hey, speaking of Lady Quark in Earth-6, thing to dwell on number two, time to learn more about Earth-6. As I've stated many times here in season two, this isn't my first time reading Crisis on Infinite Earths. And yet, Despite the two other read-throughs, I don't remember much about it. And so when I came across Earth-6 in this issue, an Earth they describe as an anomaly due to there being no duplicates on this Earth, and that this should be impossible considering that all of the Earths were formed at the same time, well, I had to know more about it. And yet, after tens of minutes scouring the internet, there wasn't much I could find. All that Wikipedia has to say on the subject is, Earth-6 is apparently ruled by a royal family of superheroes. On this Earth, America lost the Revolutionary War, and technology appears to have advanced more rapidly than on Earth-1. Earth-6 was destroyed in the crisis, with only Lady Quark surviving. DC fandom is even more sparse, saying, On Earth-6, the United States lost the Revolutionary War. Lady Quark and Lord Volt ruled America as a superpowered monarchy. During the crisis on Infinite Earths, Earth-6 was destroyed. Lady Quark was the only survivor. So, rather than try to find information on Earth-6, I searched instead for Lord Volt and Lady Quark. But really, unless I wanted to read all about what happened to Lady Quark following this issue and possibly spoil something important for me, there was very little to find about the two of them as well. And so I'm just going to have to learn to live with the fact that I'm not going to learn much more about Earth-6, and I'll try not to lose sleep over the knowledge that I've just wasted a few minutes of your time. I apologize. Thing to dwell on number one, what's their problem with Wonder Woman? I mentioned in the last episode that we've yet to see any sign of Wonder Woman. Three issues into the biggest event in DC Comics history, and no Wonder Woman. Now, with the fourth issue, she finally makes an appearance. But what sort of appearance do we get? Three panels, she's never mentioned by name, and she's covered in robes. Anyone not knowing much about DC Comics may not even realize that this is her. So what's the deal? Am I to believe, maybe, that in 1985, the average Crisis on Infinite Earths reader isn't supposed to know that this is Wonder Woman? That this scene is meant to be mysterious, and that her identity may be somewhat of a secret, and yet at the same time it's an easter egg for the hardcore DC fans? It's possible. I mean, I wasn't steeped in DC lore back then, and I'm wondering if I'd read this for the first time in 1985, would I have realized that this was Wonder Woman? Now I tend to lean toward optimism. So I'm going with the mystery of the woman on Paradise Island and the upcoming reveal that it is Wonder Woman. And I sure do hope I'm right. And those were the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to the part of the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. Well, here we are, a third of the way into DC's first big, and dare I say, biggest event, and everybody's dead. Earth 1, Earth 2, The Monitor, all dead, all hope is lost. Kind of makes me wonder what those last eight issues are going to be about. I honestly have no idea what happens next and how our heroes are going to come back from all this. But I do know that there's something big coming and I'm looking forward to seeing just what it is. I feel like with all that is going on in this issue, they still managed to make a bit of room for Pariah, who we really don't know much about yet. We don't know what he did or what he's supposed to do. But there's a big part of me that feels like Pariah is the stand-in for us, the reader. Like Pariah, we are forced to watch as Earth after Earth is destroyed, as our favorite characters are wiped out of existence, and there's nothing we can do about it either. Pariah learns, right along with the reader, how the monitor's devices are supposed to stop the antimatter wave, and he's just as confused as the rest of us when the monitor tells him that Harbinger Is only fulfilling her role in this story by eventually murdering him, the monitor. And speaking of that scene when she kills him, it's pretty powerful stuff. He calls her Lila and tells her to do what she must, and she angrily shouts back at him that she is Harbinger. And in this case, she very much is the Harbinger of doom and death for everything. Then, once she blasts him, that tall, narrow panel that stretches from the top of the page to the bottom, showing his fall, with Pariah looking on helplessly before making his way to the monitor's still form, all while Earth-1 and Earth-2 are being erased from all space and time? I mean, that's just some epic stuff when it comes right down to it. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that I'm still having a ball with this one, folks. The story has me hooked, and the art continues to amaze me, with every single panel. How about you? I would love to hear your thoughts on where we are with the crisis so far. Send me an email to eventorelse at gmail.com and I just might read it out on the show. And hey, while you're out there on the World Wide Web, if you feel the mood to throw a little support my way, come join us over at the Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, You'll get the audio versions of these episodes the day before everyone else, along with an exclusive podcast that releases every week and is only available to my patrons. Find that at patreon.com slash And again, just a dollar a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. But hey, enough about that. If you do anything, how about you just join me back here next week for issue number five, World's in Limbo. I'm pretty sure you're not going to want to miss that one. I hope. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash or and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast. A weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, there's a <your> snore. <laughs> Uh, that may go at the end of a song. It better. Seriously, helicopter. Helicopter flying overhead. Probably won't even be picked up on the microphone, but making lots of noise anyway. Bye-bye, helicopter. Chopper going away. I got to look up that guy's name because now I, I feel like it's Drayton and not Dayton. Drayton, Dayton, 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 Drayton, Dayton, doo-dop-dee-dip-doo. Now I got a loud car. Let's see, it is Dayton. I was right the first time. Back to the story. He fires an ion-based energy ray into an unstable star in the Vagan system of the Earth-1 universe, which causes something stupid to happen and poop to rain down from the sky. Stupid! here we go again gonna try to read it again and make it come out nice and lean (laughs) i don't know why i said lean oh my gosh which causes a powerful solar flare which causes a powerful flick horror i have i have a i have a real problem with the word powerful I don't know why. Another big car driving by trying to record with some of the windows open. Cause it's too hot to have the windows closed, but too cool not to have the air conditioner on. I think I said that wrong. <sighs> we then travel to Earth 2 in the time of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. Ooh, I actually said that right, but I thought I said it wrong. Will this choice of his playing in? That was dumb.